Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little unique in the sense that, well, for two reasons. One, I'm flying solo today. This is Tom Maluli. And two, I'm going to use this opportunity, this episode, to talk about 40 years of financial planning. The backstory behind this episode, uh, I happened to go on to Facebook the other day and a buddy of mine that went to high school with me put a picture of his college ring on Facebook with the comment under it stating 39 years since I graduated from the school he went to for uh, for college next year will be a big anniversary and that got me thinking i don't know if you're aware of this some of you may be i finished college in 3 years i started working on wall street almost immediately after finishing classes in september of 1983 this year will be 40 years i've finished college and that also means that 40 years I've been working away in financial planning, 40 years helping people manage their investments, 40 years of helping people manage the risk that comes with managing money and all of the implications that come with this, and 40 years of helping people plan for their future. I started at EF Hutton on September 6th, 1983. I uh, began working at their office at 26 Broadway, downtown Manhattan. Some of you may know this as the Standard Oil Building. My salary at the time in 1983, $14,000 a year. And I was working in their, what they called the PFM, department, which stood for personal financial management. So financial planning was a brand new concept for the industry in 1983. Prior to that, there were stockbrokers, account executives, people who were just you know, hawking stocks and bonds and different kinds of investments, but they didn't really have some type of cohesive plan. EF Hutton at the time was one of the very first firms on Wall Street to realize this, and they also realized that it was a terrific marketing opportunity for them. Uh, the plans that they sold, their brokers sold plans to their existing clients. The plans themselves cost $10,000. It was an upfront one-time cost. And that $10,000 in 1983 dollars, so inflate them 40 years later, this plan would have cost a, a, a heck of a lot more in today's dollars. But uh, the plan cost $10,000. It did not include any of the commissions that the brokers would get from implementing the suggestions in the plans. Uh, here I am, this 20-year-old didn't really know very much. The first thing that they did in the PFM department was they put us into a class uh, for financial planning. There were 11 of us who started on the same day. They put together this classroom style approach. Uh, this woman, Linda, came in and she would teach this class every day from eight until five with a couple of short breaks in between. And we were drilled, quizzed, tested 
on all of these different concepts. We learned all about different investments, not just stocks and bonds and what happens with interest rates and what happens with earnings and the, the markets. And we covered all kinds of different investments, unit trusts, mutual funds, limited partnerships. We covered taxes. We covered estates. We covered insurance, employee benefits. We covered a couple of new topics, things like employee stock options, which had not really existed maybe 10 years before that. Uh, we covered pension plans, profit sharing plans, and something new in 1983 uh, had not been widely accepted at that point, something called 401k plans. And so we were in school pretty much every day for it was a little over six weeks and you had to successfully complete the class. It was very difficult. What I did find out later on when I went to get my Series 7 broker's license that I didn't even really need to study because of all of this information that I had drilled into my head the first six weeks that I was working at EF Hutton in their PFM, Personal Financial Management Department. It was like getting a a master's crammed down into a six-week course. It was excellent. And some of those things, some of those concepts and terms that I learned 40 years ago, I still use to this day. They were very organized at EF Hutton in their PFN department. They put together two different levels of how you would work. Your first level, your entry level, once you got through the course, was to become what the, the title was a profiler. And the profiler is basically someone who would take all of the raw data and put it together and build a profile of this client who was getting their plan done. And the amount of detail work that went into the profile was outrageous. It was now, people don't even do this kind of depth when they're building a profile for a client. It was really pretty uh, pretty intense. And we wound up getting into conversations with clients and with their clients' attorneys and with their clients' accountants, asking them questions about recapture and how their estates were titled and the details of their trusts uh, with their attorneys. And so there was a lot of in-depth work that was happening at the profiler level. The next level up beyond that was title of planner. And the planner actually wrote the plans. They would take the profile work that that would get passed along to the planner. The profiler would run through the report with the planner and then the planner would take a couple of weeks and actually write the plan. The, the profiler work still gets done to some extent today here in our firm at Maluli Asset Management. We aim to know as much of a client's situation as possible before we can begin to make recommendations on how your money should be invested and what steps you need to take to help you plan for your future. Hate to say this, but um, much of the actual written plans back in the early 1980s, remember this was 1983, was boilerplate text. While the planner would 
take the role of saying, okay, we want to reallocate this client's portfolio. Here's how it would look. They, you know, the planner wound up doing a lot of math. Uh, we did not have Excel, and so a lot of this was done paper and pencil. The other thing that we did not have back in the early 1980s was word processors. We actually had a portion of our office was a typing pool. Six weeks, eight weeks, sometimes 12 weeks later, would wind up getting a, a report, a 250-page leather-bound book. It was really impressive. It was great for sitting on your coffee table. Unfortunately, a lot of the information in these financial plans uh, became obsolete pretty quickly. As we used to joke and say they would be obsolete by the time the ink dried on the paper. Back to the profiler, his or her job was to create a snapshot in time. And so if we were putting together a profile, and the way we talk about profiles and plants, because uh, when you would open up the actual leather-bound book, when it was delivered by your broker, the first 30 to 50 pages was your profile. And so it would talk about how your income would be lined up what your resources were for income we would project them into the into the next few years what that would look like what your you know now we build a balance sheet for clients but what your basically your asset report looked like and then we would also go through the liabilities as well and we would build amortization schedules uh, debt repayment thinking back it was interesting to see the type of discussions we would have regarding uh, returns from different investments. You have to remember there was a completely different world that we lived in 40 years ago in 1983. And so we would talk about uh, the returns on corporate bonds, investment grade corporate rated uh, corporate bonds were yielding 10, 11, 12%. We were talking about tax-free municipal bonds that were yielding 8, 9, 10%. Uh, so it was a completely different universe that we were living in at the time. The profilers work, they were responsible for building the front part of the report, the 30, 40, 50 pages of details about the client and what was going on in their lives financially, how everything looked like, as I mentioned, a snapshot in time. The rest of the report would be written by the planner and we'd also get some text added by an attorney, an estate planning attorney that we had uh, working with Hutton to write their plans. And they would go on and make recommendations about trusts and uh, what, what should be in included in their wills. As you can imagine, 40 years later, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't. The job of the profiler was to create this snapshot in time. That's what financial plans were back then. They were merely a snapshot. Here's where you are today. I know you have a, an idea of you'd like to retire or you'd like to accumulate this amount of assets. Uh, the financial plan helped bridge the gap, get, getting you from here to there. Reminded of a very famous quote that President Eisenhower said in the 1950s uh, when he was president, uh, he did an interview with the New York Times and they were talking about his time as general. 
he said uh, he talked about the value of having making plans and his quote was plans are worthless but planning is everything he made this line famous in a new york times interview in 1957 he said this is something that he had heard years before in the army but he also added and this is the part that usually gets overlooked when we talk about this quote that he had he also added in an emergency the first thing you should do is take all the plans off the top shelf and throw them out the window and i'll follow that quote up with the famous line by uh, Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And sadly, when some folks wind up having a financial kind of emergency, their plans get thrown out the window too. And this is where working with an advisor can really bring some value to the table. See, there's a lot of people in our industry, in our line of work, who um, will sell a financial plan. And they, they really use it as a sales proposal, you know, what they're um, preparing for you. And sometimes they'll even, they won't even sell it, they'll just give it away because it's a way to get people in the door or basically provide a framework for you to work with them in in terms of buying some kind of financial product. We've discussed this with several clients over the years. These plans, uh, like the ones that were made 40 years ago, uh, sometimes they're not worth the paper that they're printed on. A lot of the plans and a lot of the projections, these ones that go out 15, 20 years or longer, these projections, are they're usually obsolete. Uh, very quickly. So one of the phrases that Brendan mentioned on a podcast recently was, are you focusing on plan the noun or planning the verb? Plans are, they may not be worth very much, uh, especially when you're in a pinch or you're going through some type of financial emergency. The exercise of planning can be very, very helpful because it, it helps you to think through where you're at and what the possibilities may be. And so <clears throat> while we remain very optimistic people here at the firm, we also uh, have to, while we remain optimistic, we have to plan pessimistically. And so we want to look at the worst possible outcome and work our way back from there. And I think that's what planners ought to do. And so one of the things that we've pointed out is that financial plans can become a lot more fragile the further we look into the future. A lot of things can break the further you go out in time. And that's why we feel it's really useless to make projections more than three years five years, maybe perhaps seven years uh, beyond today, beyond this, this point in time. There's just, there's too many things that can change. Interest rates can change. Uh, the economy can definitely change. Uh, stock markets can absolutely change. So a lot of things can go in different directions, but most importantly, your situation can drastically change over just a few years. I mean, 
I'm recording this in 2023. I want you to just take a moment and think back to 2013 or 2014. Is your life different today than it was to say 10 years ago in 2013 or 2014? For most people, the answer is yes. Uh, and so building forecasts and building financial plans for 15 or 20 years into the future, it really creates a, a false sense of precision like hey we can absolutely predict the future with clarity that really does not work um, and so we found one of the main ingredients in successful planning is to perpetually update and track what's been changing you know we sit down with folks uh today and we try and get a handle on what their monthly expenses look like hey that's one of the biggest variables we find when working with folks is that as they begin retirement their expenses start to change and not in the ways that they planned for some folks it becomes a happy recap where they're actually spending less than they anticipated for others their expenses tend to spin out of control. And that might just be a temporary thing for a few years. Hey, we're, we need to spend a lot of money because of certain situations that are going on. And so a financial plan might just be a snapshot in time. And I can tell you from experience, a financial plan uh, being a snapshot, it's been the case for 40 years, for at least 40 years that I've seen. But fin financial planning is a process. And we believe that's really where uh, working with an advisor can really help. They, they can really help folks out. We've also discovered that a lot of folks that give away financial plans or use it as an inducement to get people to work with them, I, even some of the do-it-yourself investment websites, um, you know, where you manage money on your own. Most of them use the very same software and they crank out the same kind of boilerplate reports. You're not going to get a 250 page report anymore like we did 40 years ago, but you're still going to see the same kind of text and the same kind of recommendations from place to place. As a firm, we've decided not to be reliant on generic financial planning software or some kind of black box formula. We want to be able to tailor a plan that's built for each individual client. It takes us a little longer. Each one's a little unique, but it's worth it. Everyone is different and everybody needs their own unique plan for their set of circumstances. Fast forward, you know, 40 years later, uh, now I'm at age 60, but the message really hasn't changed for 40 years. A couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, you want to keep your expenses low. That is so, so important. I spend a lot of time listening to a great podcast and I would recommend uh, when you're done listening to this to flip over to a podcast called The Founders Podcast hosted by David Senra. Each episode is devoted to the biography or autobiography uh, usually of um, business owners, entrepreneurs, or, or very famous people, especially those in the financial community, spends a lot of time talking about people who uh, very famously started their own way or started their own business or, you know, legends like uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger 
over and over and over you hear in these founders podcast episodes where the person who started the business or became an entrepreneur learned pretty early on, keep your expenses low. And that is just great advice for everybody. Just keep your expenses low. One of the other uh, things that I'll add that are always, always, always a given is to save more money. You cannot not save more money. Uh, you and, and you have to be sometimes creative. Uh, and you also have to be diligent about saving money. I'll share a, a story with you. Uh, and I, I have a hunch that the person I'm going to be talking about will also be listening to this episode. I had a buddy of mine who was in the Navy. And uh, even while he was away on a, a ship uh, for a couple of years, he would send checks to deposit into his brokerage account. That uh, forced habit of saving money even when he wasn't making any money we would get checks at the office for $25 for $50 for $75 whatever he could handle and this is through the 80s and into the 90s so we're talking 30 years ago 40 years ago almost that money compounded paid off paid off car loan down payment on a house uh engagement ring for his wife uh, paid off part of his wife's student loans. I mean, this money went a long way. And here's a guy who was a sailor. I mean, he was not making a lot of money, but he found a way to sock away a couple of bucks every week. The best part of getting those checks in the mail from him was seeing all the postmarks from around the world where he was, wherever he was stationed. And it didn't take long, but he built up a, a, a really nice pile of cash and did a lot of great things. Save more money has been a mantra for me that I've passed along to plenty of people over 40 years. So one of the last things I want to mention in this before we wrap up is the role of your advisor. And I've kind of tipped on, uh, you know, uh, landed on this a couple of times already. There's three main things that I think an advisor ought to do for their clients. The first thing is they've got to keep their clients focused on the big picture, the why. Why are we investing? Why are we saving money? Why are we keeping our costs low? Why are we doing what we're doing along the lines of our financial plan. The big picture is we don't want to work forever. We want to do what we we want to do what we want to do with our own free time. Keeping you focused on the big picture very very important. The second part, the second role of of a good advisor would be to keep you in the game. Uh, there's been so many points in time over the years where clients who have been really good at staying invested and socking money away on a regular periodic basis and dollar cost averaging into different investments, they get nervous. They get scared. They want to jump out. They want to go to cash. They want to, let's get defensive and we can get more aggressive later. It's been a mistake been a mistake to do that. A good advisor is going to keep you in the game. The third thing that a good advisor is going to do for their clients is they're going to stop the client from doing something really stupid. Now, part of that may be, 
hey, I want to go to cash because I'm scared about the stock market, or I don't like who's in the White House, or I don't like the way the economy looks, or fill in the blank. You have to properly allocate money that you need for emergency purposes, and then another amount that's for a cushion. Everything above that ought to be invested for the long term. And when we talk about long term, I just want to point something out. We've Every day the market goes up or down. I can think of maybe four or five days over 40 years where the market did nothing that day. Most days the market is either going up or it's going down. So my first day in the industry was September 6th, 1983. The Dow Jones at that time was 1239, 1,239. That was the Dow Jones in 19, September of 1983. Today, as I'm recording it, the market uh, closed at 33,879. I don't know what the math is on that kind of return, but if you sold anywhere along the way, you've made a mistake. As I mentioned, a good advisor will help you from making bad mistakes or errors in judgment. So I hope that this episode has been helpful to you in some way. Kind of an interesting uh, anniversary point in the sense that I nearly forgot it's been 40 years since I've been out of college, and that means it's been 40 years that I've been in the industry. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed it, and we will catch up with you on the next episode. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Mm -hmm.